Hello and welcome to Missing an Audience. In each episode, a different guest from the arts world will talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected their practice, how they see things changing going forwards, and about their memories of being part of or creating for audiences. Our aim with this podcast is to hear from and reach as many different people working or studying in the arts as possible, to connect over what we miss and have lost, what we have to look forward to, and what needs to change. We also hope to spread awareness of charities or arts groups struggling at this time. We need the arts and we need audiences. Culture is for entertainment, protest, education, therapy, employment, inspiration and connection. It must survive. Our guest today is Clarice Lochry. In addition to her role as chief film critic for The Independent, Clarice also acts as a regular stand-in for Mark Kermode on BBC Radio 5 Live's Kermode and Mayo Review Show. During the COVID-19 crisis, she has been contributing to the Indie Film Club, which revisits movies chosen by audience votes on Twitter. Hello. I'm Jake Leonard. I'm the creator and host of this podcast, and I'm a freelance theatre director. Hello, Clarice. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. (laughs) Um, So, most important question first, how are you? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that an okay answer? (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I I exist. I am existing. (laughs) Well, that's a start, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, dear. So, what have you been up to in lockdown? Uh, I'm still kind of doing my job. <laughs> my Well, the thing is, my attention has been completely destroyed. My attention span is out the window. So, it's taking me about double, triple the time to do the work that I normally do. Uh, So that's been pretty much occupying my every waking hour is just doing the normal stuff that I do. Uh, And then apart from that, uh, yeah, watching movies, trying to catch up on some classics. You've been doing the Indie Film Club, haven't you? Is that something that's just come about because of COVID? Oh, yeah, it's 100% because of COVID. Because, like, the brutal reality of it is that not many films are coming out at the moment. I know Mm. that we have these digital platforms out there, but it's just just kind of of different. And and obviously, like, with any website, with any major publication, you have that struggle of, like, you know, what reviews are people actually going to read and what reviews are they going to click on? And we always try and strike a really like good balance of obviously covering the blockbusters and trying to highlight smaller films where we can. But I think it's, it's getting tougher during this period because, you know, you have all these films just kind of spread across like a, a million different platforms. <laughs> so it's sort of really, I find it really hard to gauge at the moment, like what are people actually watching? Um, so that's made it really difficult to decide what to cover because we just don't know what, or we um, shouldn't be talking for other people. I feel like I don't know like what reviews people want to read at the moment, I'll be honest. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because you don't know what's going to happen next or how long it's going to take for things to get vaguely back on track. 
Yeah, and I've really sort of tried to maintain my sanity by not trying to guess because <laughs> everything is, yeah, we just, we can't predict how the, the graph is going to curve, especially, um, okay, I'm trying not to get too political here, but, <laughs> you know, especially the way the government has uh, handled lockdown in the UK, like, I don't know where the graph is going to go in the next couple of weeks um, because, you know, Three weeks ago, a month ago, I had a, a pretty like, all right, like, you know, we'll be a curve, like we'll hit a peak and then we'll go down and then that's manageable and we'll be able to like have some prediction of when cinemas can open again. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that lockdown is basically prematurely up and I live in Brighton and everybody's out on the beach <laughs> during the pandemic, I, I, I just genuinely, I don't know it's scary. I, I don't know what the future is going to be like. I don't know if we're going to turn on the news tomorrow and it will have suddenly like shot straight back up, you know? And it's tricky as well, isn't it? Because you sort of think, that, you know, they're talking vaguely about cinemas opening again, um, but with social distancing. And you just sort of wonder how that's going to work. Yeah, I I think I can see... That is doable. I think obviously it's not going to be like the the prime theatrical experience that we're used to. But, you know, I've seen the photos of how they would separate the seats and have like little groups of two, then a big gap, little groups of two. And you'd have to like have staggered times for people to come in. So there's not a giant like bottleneck at the entrance of the cinema. Mm. So I kind I can understand the mechanics of it. It's just that to me, that situation is something that you do when the virus is largely under control and you have things like track and trace. When we get to a point where it does feel a little bit safer to be, you know, going outside (laughs) in general, you know, that's my thing at the moment. It's like, I don't feel safe going outside in general, doing anything, much less sitting in a dark room for two hours with a bunch of strangers who will have no idea whether they have it or not you know it's yeah. it's difficult it's, you know it won't be the only one that bring those feelings i'm sure <laughs> so <laughs> it's yeah i do wonder even if we are in a safe position for cinemas to reopen at any point i do wonder how long it's going to take people to actually start going back to them the way that they would have done um yeah yeah Oof, that was depressing, wasn't it? <laughs> we live in New Zealand because it's like I. Well, the thing I do to cheer myself up is I look at New Zealand news. Yeah. And like, yeah, we like got it pretty much under control. Yeah, we can start opening things. I mean, everybody be careful, but like, but yeah, we pretty much we did it. We dealt with it. Yeah. And, and so I just like, and I close my curtains and I pretend that I'm in New Zealand and I'm like, I live in New Zealand now. Like, I don't have to look outside and, and realise that it's not that. You finally had Jacinda Ardern over here. I know, Jacinda. Have you been watching Sam Neill's uh, weird little videos? Oh, yeah, they're so, oh, uh, they're oh, so it's lovely. Amazing. and i feel like this is the thing even before the pandemic he's always been committed to just making us feel better and i appreciate that about him yeah i i have a great love sam neil he gave me a toffee once and that's one of my favorite memories from a junket ever (laughs) (laughs) he gave me a toffee (laughs) he had this it was for sorry this is completely going off track but uh 
he, I went to the junket for Hunt for the Wilder People, um, and and he had this this giant bowl <laughs> of toffee at his feet, which I've never seen. That's not like a noble thing in junkets. <laughs> Celebrities to have bowls of candy <laughs> at their feet, and it was him, and it was Julian Dennison as well. So maybe the candy was for him. I don't know who the candy was for. Um, and so we did the whole interview, and then I was getting up, sort of making sure I got like the, this, you kind of have to stick around after the interview because they give you tapes and cards, sorry. And you have to maybe like unhook your mic sometimes. And I see this toffee coming towards me, <laughs> gently being placed in my hand. And I look uh-huh. over and it's Samuel being like, there you go. <laughs> he sat outside there like, yeah, he's been giving toffees to the journalists who thinks did a good job. <laughs> and I was like, well. Oh, so it was like a treat. Like, <laughs> well treat, done. Right? <laughs> well done. It's great. I took the toffee home and then I was like, do I eat it? Do I just treasure it forever? Put it on my shelf to be like, this is the Sam Neill toffee. <laughs> what, what did you do? <laughs> I did. I left it for like, a couple of days and then yeah. I had a sugar craving and I was like, mm, I'm eating this. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, it was a great coffee. So thank you, Sam Neil. We'll always remember that. <laughs> no, well, now we've, we've cheered the room back up again. Sorry. Um, shall we talk about an audience experience? Putting you on the spot, but there you go. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a lot, but I think my favourite one is because this was when I, I kind of only recently started out or at least recently started going to film screenings which is Mm. um for anyone who doesn't know it's like if if you're press or media they put on these special little preview screenings like a few days before release and all the critics can come and watch it at like the leicester square city world or something um and uh yeah it was mad max fury road I've like no like i before that point i was just like i wasn't really a mad max person like had nothing against it wasn't really a fed so i just came but you know when you just go into a film with just zero emotion yeah, no expectations <laughs> like, i feel nothing towards you and i just i just remember the intensity of emotion about i want to say about 15 minutes in when i realized what i was watching and i just started crying because i i had this moment of like I don't deserve this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> what did we do to deserve this, like, incredible, precious gift? <laughs> um, and I've always felt like such an idiot for, for crying at that moment because it's such a doubt. They'd be like, I cried because the movie was too good. Then I read this great quote from Bong Joon-ho, who I think he said he also cried at Mad Max Fury Road because he was like, I could not put into words, like, the beauty of that movie. And I felt better. I was like, well, if director, if director Bong also cried, then... Director Bong always makes everything better, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, like, we're the same, so it's yeah. fine. But yeah, that's, like, my most memorable one, I guess, because mm. I was, like, kind of... I don't know, it was just, like, a really weird emotion, and I didn't know where it came from. I mean, it came from the movie being amazing, but I, I don't yeah. know if I'd ever experienced that before. Yeah. Possibly since. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfectly rational reaction. It's just, it, yeah, because sometimes it can just be overwhelming, can't it? How good something is, or you know. Yeah, 
I cry when movies are too good and I cry when movies are sad, obviously. And then I also mm. cry when movies are too scary. So I, I cry it, a lot. And what, what was it like watching it? with? Because it was a press screening of Mad Max, you were saying. Mm. So what were, were there similar kind of reactions going on in the room? Or is everybody very, you know, straight faced? honest i don't really remember everybody else i think i was so (laughs) inside my own head i mean in general i would say if you go to the big screenings you do get a pretty good audience i mean like going to see like a star wars movie and and like going to see the last jedi like another great memory is is the reactions to that and you know the moment with no sound. I don't know if yeah. I want to like not spoil it for people who maybe haven't seen one of the biggest movies ever. But <laughs> like I, I remember that as well because it, it, people, you know, were reacting so much to the movie until that point, and then it was just dead silence. Like you could hear a pin drop, just people just holding their breath for like <laughs> the entirety of that shot. I thought that. That was amazing, and 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 I always love when people. I don't know. I love it when people get really into it, and I loved like mm-hmm. I'm not like the biggest super Marvel nerd, but I I loved like watching Endgame and seeing people flip out over that. <laughs> it was really nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think anything that's got a particularly special fan base or dedicated fan base there's an experience to watching that when force awakens came out that was the first time a star wars film had been out in the cinema a new one had been out in the cinema for like 15 years or something so going to see that and just the audience reaction when you know at the beginning of the letters going up on the screen oh (laughs) i went to see the force awakens like on a weird like morning screening and there was there was like six other people with me (laughs) and the best reaction was when kylo ren took off his helmet and it was adam driver and some guy in the back went oh (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's a very fair reaction to adam driver i mean um, that's the reaction you give maybe you didn't know he was in the movie (laughs) yeah or just like had never been confronted with adam driver before (laughs) i do all the emotions at once (laughs) a new convert (laughs) yeah well i mean i could talk about how great star wars is all day but i feel oh yeah no we can't go down that route we'll be here for hours (laughs) um so the last thing sorry is uh that I always ask the guests to come up with a charity or an organisation that they want to promote because, you know, obviously a lot of things have been affected by lockdown. And so our listeners can find out more about those places or maybe donate if they can. Um, so what, what, what have you picked? Uh, so I decided to highlight a couple of publications, if that's okay, because obviously... Mm. I think it's a really tough time for film critics everywhere. And especially if you're an independently run platform, it's like they could do with all the support that people can give. Uh, So uh, the first one I chose is Film Days. Uh, They're particularly focusing on on writers from underrepresented backgrounds and and really giving them a platform because obviously that is also such a huge problem in my industry i mean in so many industries is is that you know you're hearing from often hearing from um a very narrow perspective on films and we really need to change that because 
you know, that's what makes film criticism really rich and interesting and worthy. And also, like, you know, people have a right to have their voices heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I wanted to highlight Galdem, uh, who they're not film focus they write about a huge amount of things uh but they are particularly sharing work from women and non-binary people of color uh and they do great stuff so go and support and read and and give money to them if you can and just like you know share share the the great work and the love lovely yeah well thank you very much for joining us it's been a real pleasure oh thank you for inviting me it's been a nice (laughs) distraction if that's the only (laughs) thing we can provide then that's that's good with us (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening to missing an audience hosted by jake leonard with music by dave morris publicity design by ben hollands and voiceover by Rebecca Clee. We'd love to hear your favourite audience experiences and how COVID-19 has affected you. So feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter at missinganord. If you want to donate or find out more about the charities our guest was talking about, you can find the links in the description below. In the meantime, keep safe, keep well, and be kind. Next time... We're joined by actor and critically acclaimed creator of Sexy Lamp and Bicycles and Fish, Katie Arnstein. I moved to London in, in 2012 and it was the, the Olympic summer. And it was just absolutely magical to, to come and the whole world was there. Hmm. And uh, I came with all the optimism of a you know recently graduated drama school student. And I was like, the time is now for me. Um, and it wasn't. But um, yeah, I wrote, I wrote the song about London and how, how magical it was. And there's a line in it um, where I say, Boris Johnson is the mayor. We think that's as bad as it can get. And every time I performed that, we basically had a new prime minister. And then eventually it was Boris Johnson. And then it was Brexit. Then it was Windrush. Then it was, it was just, um, everything was getting worse and worse. Um, and so it makes the song, you know, feel even every time you're like god 2012 was good wasn't it and then it was like 2012 was amazing and then you're like the best year of my life was 2012.